All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Today we have a great friend, a former guest, Daryl Lyons. Daryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. I love being on this show. It's one of my favorites. Oh, man, you're too nice. You're awesome. Oh, oh thank you. You know, I've been on a lot, and it's just an enjoyable conversation every time, and um, you always ask good questions. And I, being in San Antonio, I think there's a, a part of me that appreciates your military background and the way you probe and ask questions and kind of navigate. So that's kind of my comfort zone. So I enjoy that. Well, we enjoy you. I remember your first book, Small Business, Big Pressure. It was just a fantastic book, a great read. Um, And everybody out listening, if you don't know a little bit about Daryl, just a certified financial planner. You founded uh, PAX uh, Financial Group. You just made, and congratulations, Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies in the country. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, thank you. You're also an author, an entrepreneur, a husband, a father, a community leader. You know, Daryl, you make me feel like I've done a lot, but I have so much more to do, my friend. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I don't feel that way at all. I, you're a wonderful person. But, you know, the thing about it is I don't really feel still to this day even equipped or capable, maybe even some of the accomplishments. And I really think that you guys just put some incredible people in my life. I mean, it's really freakish. There's... There's some things that, you know, we talked about this on one show where the mayor named a park after me. And I look back and I had no business getting a park named after me. But somehow, some way, God put people in my life that uh, made me look good. And then somebody was kind enough to propose to the mayor to name a park. And that's everything in my life. I look at it and I go, man, I couldn't have done that without people around me. And, and for that reason, I'm really grateful. Yeah, well, you know, you also have a great humility, but what I love about you, Daryl, is you're always looking at a way, you know, how do I serve people? Uh, you know, what can I do for people? You, I mean, you're, all your arrows are just pointed out, and I think it's such a a great example in this world today, uh, especially with just the some of the conflict and dialogue and just kind of the nature of our culture today that, you know, it's more things like that that we need to hear of in the news. Cause there's so much amazing stuff that I hear about all day long. You probably do too, about people that love other people and they're serving them and they're doing good and they're healing, you know, racial divides and they're doing good work. But you know what? We don't hear about it in the news because you know what? It's the good stuff that doesn't sell. So, you know, that's a big part of what we do on the podcast is, you know, let's highlight some of the good stuff that's happening out there. Yeah, good. Yeah, there is a lot of good stuff happening. There's a lot of good people out there. And whenever, you know, there's a couple of conferences I go to that I always leave encouraged. And I'm like, man, this country's great. One of it was that Inc. 5000 conference. Yeah. When I went to that conference this last year, I left saying, I'm going to bet on America. You know, I've never met a successful pessimist. And so I don't want to fall into that <laughs> trap. I leave a conference like that and I go, man, people are innovating. They've got ideas. These are smart people. They're solving problems. They're thinking ahead. And that just gets me inspired, encouraged, and excited about what's going on in our country. I love what you just said. I've never met a successful pessimist. (laughs) That is true. Uh, (laughs) Now, we're going to be talking about today, everybody, uh, we're going to be talking about money. And you just wrote a book, A Simple and Practical Guide to Money and Retirement for All Ages, 18 to 80. And I got to tell you, the stats right now, we're going to get into some of this, of people that are prepared to retire that can retire with dignity. And I know the economy is doing well and, and people in general are making some more, but you know what? And I'm looking at my own situation, especially with my accident. And we went backwards significantly because of the accident, but what it really takes to 
be able to retire and not have to worry and have stress. Uh, and there's so many things that we can be doing. So with that, let me ask you a question. What is it you know about this moment in time, because this book just came out, uh, that prompted you to write this book? Yeah. So what had happened was, is it was over time, I help people with their money, right? And so I see thousands and thousands of people kneecap to kneecap with their money. And I nerd out on this stuff. So I was putting together the best investment portfolios I possibly could. And, you know, the strategies and the plans and I, you know, check all the boxes for what you need to do to be a good technician. And I'd find that at the end of the day, people still wouldn't accomplish their goals. And it was not because of the strategy or even the guidance, but mainly because of just decisions that they would make. And so I hired a coach and he was a behavioral finance expert because I really wanted to get in this space. And I read a book on this stuff and then I just couldn't stop reading it and learning about behavioral finance. And I realized this was an academic world where um, it's a collision of finance neuroscience and psychology. And I had no idea that existed. So I nerded out on it and um, really wanted to understand how can I play a role in helping people make better decisions with their money rather than just putting, you know, the game plan together. How, like when they're in a difficult situation, you know, they want to buy an RV, how do I help them walk through that decision to ultimately align that decision with their values and ultimately their goals? And so I really just was on a journey of behavioral finance. And so well, I had to take that information that I learned academically in behavioral finance. And by the way, there's a designation called behavioral financial advisor. I didn't even know that. So I took that academic side, a couple with the client experiences, and I had to put together, I felt called, I really did, to put together a book that the middle class, I don't know anything about money kind of person, which is my background, my family's background. I don't know anything about money. I'm middle class. I need some help but rooted in behavioral finance, really easy to read. And I had to write it. And so I felt called to do it. So I blogged for about a year on it and got feedback from people. And then I collected all those blogs and put them together in a manuscript. Well, and share So, you know, people out there, who's this really designated to? You have it 18 to 80. And I know, you know, in the book, you really have it kind of laid out by like age, like from 21 through 80. There's a section for, you know, each little age, but kind of walk me through what your thoughts are. Yeah. So what I recognize is that money decisions are more broad than who we are at a point in time. For example, if somebody's 45, they've got their stuff they're dealing with, you know, maybe do I pay off the house? Do I save for my kids college? Or, you know, I've got some trade-offs that I've got to consider, but that's not it. They've also got an aging parent. And so how do we care for that aging parent? And how do we consider maybe if there's nursing home or assisted living, or what do I need to start having dialogue with them about their wills? And how awkward is that? And then there's also the kids. How do I teach the kids about money? And maybe somebody who's 45 has an 18 year old kid. That's a part of the thinking as well. How do I start teaching my kids to make good decisions with money? So it's not just a myopic point in time. I'm 45. How do I make good decisions? But how do I also help the people I love make good decisions? And so that's why it had to be brought. Yeah. And now you talked about behavioral finance and it's kind of this combination of uh, psychology and neuroscience. What are some of the key things you learned, like you said, nerding out on some of these things that would be really interesting or valuable for us to know? Well, what we know is that we can train our brain to make better decisions. And so as a point of reference, I grew up in a little trailer in Cashville, Texas, and we didn't have much money. So retraining my brain to make different decisions is a task. 
how do I make decisions that people who are winning with money, they have formed habits of money decisions. I've got to get to the point where I change my brain and that's called neuroplasticity and start making decisions that may initially be a hack, but eventually become a habit. And let me give you an example. You know, Amazon kills us. It still kills me today. It kills everyone, right? It's so easy to purchase. There's no friction at all, not an ounce of friction. You just go in there and one click pay and you've bought stuff. And before you know it, you've got boxes of stuff at your doorstep. And we all experience this. Yeah, what, not only is there no friction, but you're like, it pops into your head like, hey, I need some new refrigerator filters. And we already owned a couple. And my wife's like, we should get the one that filters out lead. So I looked at it on Amazon. There it was. And I bought it. So I just spent 50 bucks that I was not planning on spending, and they arrived yesterday. This is why it's front of mind. But yeah, if I actually looked at how much I'm spending on Amazon, it would probably shock me. It really would. And so what happens is we actually get a dopamine burst whenever we make that purchase, and then we get the dopamine burst whenever we get the boxes delivered on our door. This has happened for years, but mainly with seniors in the space of QVC, where they would watch QVC all day and make these purchases, and it would be, get a dopamine burst, and then the boxes would deliver, then they'd get it again, and then they need to go back because they were kind of addicted to not, you know, we call it retail therapy, but you know, from a neuroscience, it's dopamine. And so, what we have to do is we have to recognize that this exists because there is a problem. We're looking at our bank account, saying, "I have no money for my kid's college. I'm behind on retirement. I haven't paid down my credit cards." I don't have an emergency fund. You're not all the things that we should be doing with our money. We can't do it. And we're asking ourselves, we don't have enough money, but it's at Amazon. It's there. It's just, we just keep making these unnecessary purchases. So how can we retrain ourselves to not make these purchases to shore up some of that unnecessary buying? And it's a real simple, it, I actually share this one at age 18 because it needs to happen at age 18. It's just adding a pause to our purchasing. So before we actually hit click or one click pay, we just pause and say, you know what, let me think about that. Maybe tomorrow I'll do it. And then we find out the next day we don't really need it. And so if we can add that, maybe call it a hack at first of just pausing, eventually becomes a habit. And then we find ourselves, oh, now I do have money to pay down debt because it's not all at Amazon anymore. Well, you know, here's a question for you. My wife and I were just talking about this. You know, back in the old days when we actually had, you know, we either had to write checks and we bent, and we had statements and, you know, we had a budget and it was actually – Every purchase we did, we actually had to, you know, had to intentionally make the purchase. Now today, like you said, right, we have all these recurring payments. Purchasing things are incredibly frictionless. Everything is instant. Even having a budget and some financial goals, what to save, you know, a lot of people I talk to, and I'd love to know your thoughts because you do this for a living, right? It seems like, you know, at the end of every month, all of a sudden, like, wow, I meant to save some money this month, but wow, I didn't realize I spent so much. Uh, how do we get a handle on some of these things? Yeah, so the idea I think is worth noting because even you know, it was a check where it created a degree of pause and today it's not. McDonald's has been clear about this. They make more money now per hamburger or per meal. I think it's $3 more because of the, just the credit card introduction. So we know here's the challenge. Marketers know that if you eliminate as much friction as possible to buying, you're going to spend more money. And so – there's a couple things that can be done. First of all, is that pause. Secondly, I just realized that some people just need to pay themselves first. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur and listening to this, there's a couple nice tools that you can use to pay yourself first. And one is called an SEP. 
And another one is a simple. Those are ones we use a lot and they allow you to reduce your taxable income and pay yourself first. So what a lot of people do is they just transfer an amount of money each month from their personal bank account to their retirement account, SCP or simple. And that's kind of a forced savings. And so that's one method. A lot of times with entrepreneurs who have volatile income, I suggest that they put like a minimum amount in there that they, you know, it's kind of a pain point to a certain degree, but not too much. And then whenever they get a big check or every quarter, if they get a big bonus, then they can put more money in and catch up. But sometimes I think it's just paying yourself first. And typically it's 15% of your gross income that you just kind of need to automatically out of sight, out of mind going into your account. And even if you're 18, you got to be doing this automatically. But even if you're 45, 50, 55, 60, it's really important that you do this as well because you're going to live a long time. And so it's very important that even if you think you're behind, you got to do what you can while you can. And you'd be surprised more people who come to me who say, man, I'm so far behind. They're 57, 60, 65. I look at the numbers and I crunch them and I look them and I nerd them out. I look at a thousand different ways and there's hope. There's ways for them to save. It's just the same discipline. How do I set aside 15%? Maybe it's a little bit more each month and it's just automatic. Yeah. So it's about making some priorities. You know, we did that, uh, with a SEP a number of years ago, and we actually started the coaching business, Daryl. And, and that's the thing. We actually take our first fruits. We tie the second 10% of our gross goes into savings. And then we have just had to force ourselves to not go into debt. We don't have any credit card debt and we just have to fit everything in that's left over every month without building up credit card balances, which we've done at times. Yeah, I think that the tithing is pretty powerful too. I, can I touch on that, John? Is yeah, that okay? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did a little homework on tithing. You know, when I was broke, when I first started my business, I'll never forget, I was pulling up to the building and I forgot my key at the house to get in the building. And this was at four o'clock in the morning and I just sat in the car and I just cried because it was broke and I was trying to earn a living and it was hard. I had one child and we had one car. And I was just trying to survive and man, I just cried. And at that point it was in the car 4 a.m. I decided to give my first fruits and I started tithing and um, I didn't do it with the expectation of getting something back. It, that was never my hope. It was the idea was money was a stronghold in my life. It was something that was I thought about, I measured, I even had a poster that had a dollar bill on it. It was something that I was always interested in. And I just felt at that moment I needed to show God that he was more important than money. And so I gave a commitment. And again, I'm completely broke. My credit cards are equal to my income. So if you have $35,000 income and $35,000 credit cards, this is a tough situation. But I made a commitment to give and I never stopped. I haven't stopped to this day and it's been the first fruits. Well, come find out, it's um, when it comes to behavioral finance and if you're not a believer, so if you're a believer, it's really aligned with the word of God, there's 3000 scriptures of scripture about money. It's an important element of the kingdom. But if you're not a scripture, there's some actually interesting facts about it. One is Notre Dame did some studies uh, in their sociology department and the science of generosity initiative. And they identified those that give 10% or more show less signs of depression. And I think there's, and there's further research on this too, but I think there's an important part of giving that we take for granted. And we have to start accounting for this because we do have a country collectively that suffers in many different ways of depression. And so an interesting way to counteract depression is giving money away. 
and it's completely backwards. But if the other stuff isn't working, why not try it? And so as a result of giving money away to organizations and churches, I do get newsletters. I uh, do stay engaged with these organizations. It puts my life in perspective when I get a newsletter from a child in Honduras about their living conditions. And then I'm worried about what I'm going to eat for dinner. Like, did I get the right ragu or right pasta, right? Like I'm making first world frustrating decisions, but I get this newsletter from a compassion child in Honduras. And it resets and reframes my perspective. And so I think the secular world in general has recognized that the power of giving is underrated. And so I just think that's really important. And it is a chapter in the book and one that I reference early because I want people to start that habits early, even if they're broke. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you ever read a classic book and then reread it months or years later? John and I do this with How to Win Friends and Influence People. I know many people that do this with Five Levels of Leadership by John Maxwell and many others. Well, Blinkist allows you to reread the key thoughts and insights of these books, as well as 2,500 more, most in less than 15 minutes. John and I both signed up for Blinkist last year, and we are big fans. I recently reread the Blinkist summary for How to Win Friends once a night for a few consecutive nights right before bed just to get those concepts in my conscious and subconscious minds. The app says that that one's a 21-minute read, but I got it done in around 15 minutes. I also re-reviewed other books like The Lean Startup, Play Bigger, Launched by Jeff Walker, The War of Art, many, many more. Read via their mobile app, which is beautifully designed, or at the website, or export to your Kindle. You can even listen to the audio versions on the go or while you read along. Here's the best part. You can try Blinkist for a free seven-day trial. Embedded in the summary of this MP3 is our affiliate link, which you can access at eternalleadership.com slash blink. That's eternalleadership.com slash blink. And if you subscribe by using that link we provide, it's an easy way to help support the work that John, Sandra, Phidias, Daisy, and myself are doing to keep this show going for you. We only want to promote products and services that we personally use and are fans of, and this is one of them. Check out that affiliate link, eternalleadership.com slash blink to learn more. Thanks. So take me back, you know, it's four in the morning, you're sitting in front of, uh, you know, that building, right? Conventional wisdom would say, hey, I can't afford to tithe. You know what? Maybe as I start making some money, I'll start to give a little bit later and then I'll ramp up. 10% sounds like a good goal. But you just said, hey, I'm, I'm all in. What was behind that? I think I was done. I didn't have any choices. And I trusted God, but not really fully. And I either needed to quit or really trust him. I think I had two choices there. And I figured trusting him was a better alternative. It was really just a simple two choices. And I had a friend in high school that he was a train wreck of a dude. He really was. He made bad decisions. But somewhere along the line, I'll never forget Adam saying this. He goes, despite all the stupid things I do, I tithe because I believe that works. I go, and I never forgot that. I go, of all the things, like, you know, your relationship with women, your relationship with alcohol, everything's crazy. But here you buy into this tithing thing. And you know what? I got to tell you, I never forgot that. And so at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm in there too. And so I joined that camp where I'm going to bet on God. And I don't want to really create a picture that was the financial kickstart to me having a successful organization. 
um, because I don't. That's called prosperity theology, and I think it could be misleading. But I will tell you that I've worried less about money. I can tell you this wholeheartedly. I've worried less about money than ever before as a result of me making that commitment to trusting God with my money. Yeah, that's what I, I'm hearing, right? It's A, you're choosing to trust God in his faithfulness and his journey, regardless of you know what are some of the measurables. But it's also when we give from a place of gratitude versus obligation, I think that is also huge. I know it has been for me. I'm giving out of just gratitude of everything in my life, my health, my marriage, my family, and that I'm part of God's plan, right? He doesn't need my money, but he's asked for it. I mean, everything is sovereign unto him, so he doesn't need that, but he does. He asks us to be part of that, and I'm grateful and I'm excited that I get to be a part of that uh, versus giving from this place of, you know, I'm obligated, I have to give, it's expected of me, you know, this is kind of a, a legalistic thing. And I think, you know, talking back to, you were talking about kind of psychology and neuroscience, I think when you're just approaching life from a fact that you're trusting God and you're just grateful for everything, you know, the excess, the peaks and the valleys as we're journeying through is two very different places to approach things, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, that legalistic, that's a place that you don't want to be at because it's really a joy to be able to give and have fun with it and to pray about it and to participate with God in the the joy of giving. And so it's a tricky one because you said something that was interesting, John. You said ramp up to the 10%. And I know that's, I've had dialogue with people because it would have such an economic impact on them if they went straight to 10% uh, over. And so we have ramped up before. So I can see that as a method, a tool that I think people, you know, should consider if they're not there yet at that 10% to just kind of ramp up each year before you know it, it's just kind of in there a part of the equation and not really a big deal. But I think it ultimately, whatever the number is, if it's 15%, if it's you know 50%, I know some people do 50, if it's 2%, doing it with without this obligation is really a key attribute. It really is. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, because this is something I've noticed with my Christian versus secular clients that I coach and I work with. Because we're talking about money and we're talking about, you know, having goals about, hey, I want to have $2 million put away so I can retire at this age on this kind of income. And and to do that, I need to save this much. So I need to make this much this year. Here's some of my financial goals. And a lot of times I've sat down with my clients uh, who are not, you know, believers, and we start talking about some of their goals, their dreams, what it's taken to be, you know, to get there. And I mean, it's right front of mind, and they start writing it down. And when I'm talking to a lot of people, you know, faith-based people, Man, they're very reluctant oftentimes to start writing that those things down. I remember one of the guys I worked with, I said, hey, why don't you write down some of your, you know, what are some of your personal goals? Not what you think everybody else expects, but what's the kind of life you want to create? When do you want to retire? What do you want your business to look like? You know, wife, kids, and everything. And two weeks later, we sat down, Daryl, and he had like two things on his list. And there's a number of things that over the years that I've known this person, we've talked about. And the question that came to mind for me was, hey, whose voice are you listening to? There was things as we dug into it that he didn't want to write down on this one sheet, even though it was for him, because he was, you know, like, hey, what would my pastor think about this? What would my Bible study friends think about this? And I would love for you to address, you said there's what, there's over 2,300 scriptures in the Bible that talk about money. This is an important topic. When you're working with somebody, how do you help them 
think about uh, setting, you know, financial goals, income, savings, retirement, things like that? Yeah, I think um, certain personality types are more inclined to do that than others, for sure. And so there's a segment of people that that aren't wired to do those kind of things. Like take my wife, for example, she would never do that stuff. And so it requires a coach to guide her and that personality type to be able to set goals. And then you have those that are not a subset of this group uh, that are not uniquely wired to do these goal setting exercises. And then they may use um, scripture to substantiate the reason that they don't want to do it. Right. And well, you know, the Lord will work it out. I'm not going to, I don't think that's necessary. In fact, I think it's antithetical to what God wants me to do. Right. And so I don't buy that, you know, there's a lot of scripture on this. In fact, there's a lot of scripture on planning. In fact, if we start out, if we start out in the book of Leviticus and then move into numbers, the degree of planning is pretty robust thinking ahead, having systems and processes, measuring and monitoring. I mean, it's all there. And we continue to see that throughout the word of God. It's never done independent of God. In fact, scripture says a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. So I set goals every year. I've done it since, for, let's see, I'm 41 years old. I bet I've set goals for the last 20, maybe 25 years. And I still have many of them right in front of me. And it's wonderful to reflect on those goals and see what God has done. But I, every goal that I set, every single one, and I tell my kids this because my goals are on my shower. I you know, print them out and I put them in my shower. And so sometimes when they're taking a shower, they see dad's goals. I said, you know, I'm going to do what I need to to increase the probability that that outcome exists. But if the Lord directs my path somewhere else, I'm flexible enough to listen to him. And I think that's the posture we take is we say, look, this is where my heart's at. God put this on my heart to go this way. And my desire this year is to play the guitar, right, or whatever the instrument is. But if the Lord redirects me and says, do something else, I'm going to be ready and able to do that. Having a coach discern the difference between it's God telling you to redirect or it's Chinese food or a bad day is really, really, really important. That's why I personally have hired several coaches over the years. And so the idea is hang on to the scripture. Man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. And as you're going down that road, if you find that the Lord is redirecting you, having a coach alongside of you that can discern whether it's discern whether it's, you know, you just kind of giving up or it's God actually truly telling you it's time to move off this path. Yeah, you know, think about, you know, from that perspective, you know, yourself and how you've been able to set some goals. What has allowed some of the people you've worked with across the different maybe ages successfully set some of these goals that does help them with their whole kind of their whole financial picture? Yeah, some of it is um, some of it's easier than others when, you know, people setting goals. Some people are just really good at it and self-discipline and then other people just need the accountability. Um, writing it down is really important. As you mentioned with that one client, writing down their financial goals. I like to dream too, right? I mean, just dreaming about what it might look like. And that's why we've talked about retirement. In our organization, we rename the word retirement. We call it pivot, meaning that retirement by definition is the disposition of an asset over its useful life, um, which means that somebody's life is no longer useful. So we would suggest to you that we don't want to um, frame ourselves that way, but rather pivot, not retire, but pivot into the next chapter of life. And so what we want to do is kind of paint the picture of what pivoting looks like. What does it mean to pivot at 60 or 65 and transition from your current occupation into something else? And that could be missionary work, or it could be another job, or it could be starting a business. 
and just start creating that vision. And then once that vision is in the head, then kind of quantify what does it take to get there and then back into that and creating a plan to save to be able to accomplish that. Or if you currently have a business and you want to sell, this is very important, especially for solopreneurs, is how do you, if you're going to have a transition in time where you're going to pivot, how do you make the business that you have currently valuable? How do you create it to where it's a transferable asset that you can sell and start thinking about it that way? So that way that can help finance that pivot chapter in life. So again, it, it really begins with creating a picture, which is what something I know you do well, quantifying that and then backing into that and seeing how you're going to finance it. Yeah. You know, I think that's really important. I mean, just to make it practical, you know, my wife and I, so here's a question for you. Let's say it's 65 years old. If I don't have any, let's say, recurring income come in, let's just say I don't have a pension or I'm kind of discounting maybe what Social Security might be in the future, yeah. right? I actually assume for my retirement planning that it's not going to be there. And if it's their bonus, personally. So let's say, you know, let's say I have a million dollars saved. What percent of that can I spend every year at 65 that's, you know, not going to cause me trouble later on? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the academic world suggests um, there's debate on this, so it's not conclusive, but it's a 4% withdrawal rate. So, right. And, you know, what's interesting about that is if you do further research, you find out that um, inflation is factored into that equation. But most people, when they retire or pivot, they actually, their spending decelerates over time. And so it goes down at about 2% rate over their retirement years. So that 4% is a pretty good number. Um, even keeping up with inflation. So if I have a million dollars in retirement accounts so me at 65 and I decide to, to pivot, right? I see retirement for myself as not having to work for money that I can actually, I have a assets that would support me using my time to where God directs without having to go, you know, make 10 cents anymore, so to speak. But for every million, I could spend 40,000. So if I wanted to, Retire, let's say, on $100,000 a year, right? I would need, what, $2.5 million yeah. totally, like, in some kind of retirement accounts. Is that an accurate way to think about it? It is, yeah, not considering Social Security, yes. Yeah, not considering Social Security. So, like you said, what is that plan to get there? And I think having somebody like you to work with, I just sat down with one of my coaches, and he said, hey, you know what, the thing, you know, what we've built with our coaching business you're really been approaching this as like a solopreneur. You know, here's, I actually did some research for you. Here's actually some of the multiples in your industry, but you haven't built the, you know, my company, Eternal Leadership and Beyond Influence from the perspective that I might want to sell it someday. Yeah. Um, and he goes, if you actually start just putting some of that stuff in place now, not only are you going to probably have a more efficient and more profitable business that you'll enjoy more, but it also gives you that option to, in the future, if you ever want to, have actually an asset that you've built that, that could be possible. If somebody who's not building a company that could have some kind of future asset, you're at a job, it could be a high-paying job, low-paying job. My father-in-law and mother-in-law, they were blue-collar workers their whole time, but they were very disciplined their whole life in putting 10% away. And when they both retired at 62, my father-in-law just passed away, but they're going to leave, pass on a legacy, but it was about their discipline. But I know that my father-in-law always had his saving goals, and that was the first thing that he did. And my brother-in-law has followed that since he was 18, and he will be able to be done working if he wants to by the time he's 55. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, it's that's a legacy, right? So 
you know, we talk about him leaving a legacy of money behind, but leaving money behind is inheritance. An inheritance is what you leave to someone. A legacy is what you leave in someone. And so he left behind in his son a legacy of respecting money, almost like the ocean where you have to respect the waves in such a way that he created a discipline early on and it's benefited and hopefully it benefits future generations. I think that's powerful. Yeah, so I think the point here is regardless of our ages, it's important to have our goals and have some clarity on what we're doing and why because you know what, when when we realize that, you know what, I would like that option at, because my goal is at 60, I'd like to not have to work if I don't have to and just be able to go travel and do some of the things that that are that I that I believe God's kind of preparing for us right now. But we have a lot of work to do, I'll tell you, Daryl, because of the accident between now I'm 52 over the next eight years to be in position to do that. So that is absolutely part of how we make decisions and what we do. But we do have to then capture all that back and just trust God and stay on the path that he wants us to do. Uh, and I think that's really important, right? Because this isn't us forcing something for our goal. It has to be in partnership with Father God also has for us. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I would agree. It's such an interesting topic and one that it's an interesting business opportunity if you look at it from that lens. I've had conversations with uh, personalities who are very well respected in the coaching field that have created huge, huge followings. And we've had dialogue saying, how do you quantify this asset so that it's, it's transferable? And John, that's going to be the puzzle for you to solve. And I think it's solvable. And I think it'd be a fun one to try to figure out. But how do you create an actual fair market value of what you've built? And so that'll be a goal for you, I would imagine. Yeah, well, you know, one as soon as we got some clarity, like, you know, boom, we need to create a business that has customers and processes. And, you know, just like any other business, you know what, we've actually been working on that over the last year. And I've been working with a coach and we have completely transformed what we do and how we do it, the nature of our clients, our revenue, our cash flow, our marketing. And it has forced us to become so much better at what we do. We still kind of basically deliver the same kind of value in the coaching, consulting, training that we do, but we're doing it differently. And you know what? It was actually just taking our focus and putting it in a little different area that led to that. So I'm very optimistic that, uh, you know, we're creating something of that's definitely of significant value. I have no idea if we'll ever, you know, capitalize on that, but we'll have the option at some point. I love it. That makes sense to me. And that's just kind of sitting down and thinking things through. I get that completely. And that's the big part of it. That's the part many people fail to do is just sit down, kind of wrestle with this stuff, have somebody walk alongside of you, be your guide. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I would just encourage everybody out there listening. Um, Daryl, I respect you so much and what you do and how you do it, regardless of your age, but especially those folks probably listening in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and you feel like you know, there's this huge gap between where you are and where you need to be financially. Find somebody like Daryl to sit down with, have a conversation, and figure out if there is some simple things. How do you change your focus? How do you look at your priorities? How do you get your spending in alignment with your value? How do you bring God into the conversation, if that's important to you? Because that's where, what I love about you, Daryl, that's where you come from. And you know what? I What I have found is when you take a little bit of time and put it into a uh, focus into some of these areas, all of a sudden you're like, wow, those gaps are not as big as I thought they were. It's amazing. I tell you what, I just laugh sometimes that God has, uh, uh, we started out the show kind of saying what he's done and he just amazes me. So I set goals 
and I get to accomplish some of them, maybe 60% of them, frankly, but God just kind of works through all that and does what he's going to do. Um, he does much more than my goals I would ever put down. Like I put down goals. He exceeds those goals all the time in my life. And it could be with my family or my friends or my, you know, the nonprofits that I bump into because goals for me are holistic. It's altruistic. It's physical. It's mental. It's emotional. There's all kinds of goals for me, but God always surprises me long term. Um, I, I never want to discount the greatness of God by underestimating what he's capable of doing in my life. Well, with that, you know, that's awesome. So how do people get in touch with you, Daryl? Your, uh, your book is 18 to 80, A Simple and Practical Guide. You can go to Amazon, just type in Daryl Lyons and D-A-R-R-Y-L-L-Y-O-N-S. But how else can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can always go to the company website. That's PAX Financial Group. That's uh, Paul Apple X-Ray. That's Latin for peace because we're big Dave Ramsey fans. So <laughs> it's Financial Peace University. So we kind of spun off that. And so, yeah, PaxFinancialGroup.com, all my info's on there. And LinkedIn, LinkedIn's actually pretty good too. I like to play on LinkedIn and connect with people there. So find me there as well. Yeah, just go to LinkedIn, Daryl Lyons, connect with Daryl, make a new friend. You're awesome down there in San Antonio, Texas. So, um, and I really encourage people to do, you know, if this has sparked some interest, and I hope it does for most people listening. It's time to make this a priority, to make 2019 the year that you actually put together a plan that you start following. And you talk about Pax Financial Peace, right? There is some tremendous peace knowing that you're moving towards some very significant and meaningful goals because the alternative is we getting to 65 or 70 and being required to work because you're still paycheck to paycheck, to me... That would be really challenging. And there's some people listening that might even be in that situation right now. And there's probably even at that point some things that you can do. So, Daryl, oh, yeah. don't you agree? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, in fact, today's marketplace is so cool because even if you're, you're saying, man, I'm broke, there's Uber, there's online coaching, there's all kinds of cool things today for seniors and those that have a little bit older that feel like they don't have a shot. There's all kinds of cool stuff to do. So as far as I'm concerned, if you're not dead, you're not done. There's plenty. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, as we just wrap up, any final thoughts or comments, Daryl? No, thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with your audience and I just want to encourage them to make wise decisions financially in union with God and don't underestimate what he can and will do through your life. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, John. It's been fun.